1 Corinthians 3. We're uh, continuing our study, our walk through 1 Corinthians 3, and uh, we've we looked, uh, we began chapter 3 last week with a couple of truths. And, and again, Paul is, is spending these first four chapters uh, talking about division. He's really warning against division. And, and we looked last week at the beginnings of chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, and, and we said a couple things about carnality. Uh, carnality. It said, number first of all, we said it stunts our growth. And you can look at verses 1 through 4. Paul says, I couldn't come to you as to spiritual men, but as to infants in Christ, as to men of flesh. Paul, Paul had spent five years ministering to them. And it had been, it had been, they had been believers for about five years. And Paul says, you should be much, much further along than where you are. I'm having to come to you and talk about the basics. I'm having to come to you, with you with Gerber when I, when I should be able to come to you with, with real spiritual meat here. And Paul says it's, it's really because of your carnality. It's stunted your growth. You're living according to the world's ways. You're buying into the world's truths. You're, you're living as, as, as Christians, but you're living as worldly men and women. He says it's stunning your growth. And literally the picture we painted was it's the same as what malnourishment does to a child. A person, a child who is malnourished will not grow, will not develop the way that they should. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. They're malnourished. And the evidence is, it's interesting, he says the evidence is, is this. There's jealousy and strife among you. I, I think if, if, we would, if we were honest, we would, we would not, it would be a long time before we got to jealousy and strife as evidences of carnality. We, we tend to look at other things. Paul says there's jealousy and strife among you. And he's saying here, act like who you are. Act like who you are. And he continues that theme even, in, even where we are today in verses 16 through 23. He says that the Spirit of God lives in you. Live that out. Live it out. But, but not only does carnality stunt our growth, he says carnality robs us of blessing. And, and we looked at that in verses really 10 through 15. It robs us of blessing. And we did not, for the sake of time, we didn't go into a huge amount of depth in, in, in verse 15. And I want to I do that and set the stage for verse 16 today as we start. But the point is, he says, there's a real possibility that a, as a member of the body of Christ, he's speaking to the Corinthian church here. There, there's a real, very real possibility, he says, that you believer could have everything that you've worked for in your life burned up. At the end of your life, it will have amounted to nothing. It will be burned up. When he tests the quality of it, when he tests the motive of it, when he tests why you did it, when he tests who you did it to the glory of, when he does all, when he tests that, he says there is a very real possibility that your work will be burned up. You will suffer loss, he says. Suffer loss. That your entire life's labor could be burned up. That, that what he's saying there is, and he says it in verse 14, you will lose your reward. A reward has been held out. It's like, it's like a, a worker who is fined, who does something wrong and is fined his wages. He did all the work, and then, it, and then his reward is gone. It's gone. They, they, they get no wages, if you will, for poor workmanship. And I'm hesitant to use that word wages. It's not that we earn our salvation. This is the beam of seat judgment. God is, believers are standing before God and they're giving account for what they did for their salvation. They're, they've been judged based on rewards. 
It's a rewards-based judgment. What did you do with the salvation that I gave you? And, and Paul is saying a careless builder, a, a, a Christian who lives fleshly as, as a pattern, as a way of this world, you've adopted the ways of this world and you're living more according to the ways of this world than you are to the ways of God, he's saying you are going to lose your reward. The Bible holds out crowns that one day we'll stand before God and throw all of our crowns. He says you're going to have, essentially he's saying you have nothing to shower upon your Messiah because you, you did it for you. You did it for the glory of you. You did it for the glory of the world. You lived according to the world. And, and again, he says very clearly, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. You know, I remember the saying by the hair of your chinny chin chin. That's essentially what Paul is saying here. You'll be saved, but you're going to have smoke. You're going to have to smell a smoke on you. You're going to have to smell a smoke on you. You're going to be saved by the hair of your chinny chin chin because of your response to the gospel as a believer. And, and think about that. Is that how you really want to spend eternity? Knowing that, knowing that you were given everything. And Paul says it here at the end. He says, all things belong to you. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. My lack of productivity, my lack of effectiveness has nothing to do with the gospel or anything God's done. It's because I choose to live according to the world. I choose to go back to the worldly ways. And is that how you want to spend eternity? Is that how you want to face your, your king, knowing that you wasted what he gave you? And one day we will stand, before, as believers, we will stand before the beam of seat and be rewarded on how we lived our lives as a believer. What did we do with salvation? And that's what Paul holds out here. And for Paul, this was a humongous motivator. You read numerous times, I run the race in what? In a way to what? Win the prize. I run the race in a way that I will not be disqualified in the end, in the sense that, I, that I've not cheated, that I've played according to the rules, if you will. That I used everything you gave me. And he, he's not earning his salvation. He's understanding what he has in salvation. And he wants, to, he, wants to live that, he wants to live that to the glory of God. He wants to make much of God because God has made much of him in sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross. And the question Paul is saying is, you're not being faithful to the spirit that God has given you. You're not being faithful to what you have in salvation. You're not being faithful. And every single one of us as, as believers are personally responsible for how we build. How we build our lives. What do we build with? All, everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us, for 2 Peter 1.3 says. How do you build? What are you doing with all the spiritual blessings that God has given you? The fact that you live in America, that you have every resource imaginable at your fingertips. What are you doing with that? That everything you need for life and godliness, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You're adequately equipped. All the resources are laying in front of you. What are you doing with them? What are you doing with them? I read the I read the analogy uh, this um, uh, this week, and and uh, again, all all illustrations analogies break down at some point. But bear with me. Suppose suppose your uh, insurance agent calls you up tomorrow and says, "Hey, I've been reviewing your file and kind of looking at the market, and um, I believe your house is undersure underinsured by about sixty thousand dollars, and we need to address that." 
And suppose you hang up the phone and you just say, I don't believe you. That's going to increase my premiums. You just have, it's a scam. I, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I, I'm not paying extra premium. I, I'll just run with it. I'll just let it, let it go. Suppose in the next week or so, your house catches on fire. And you run around frantically, and you find your family. By the grace of God, you get all your family outside. Guess what you're going to be thinking? I'm grateful I got my family outside. But I'm, I'm about to suffer loss. I could have heeded the warning and insured my house properly, built properly, and I would be restored totally. But instead, there's mixed emotions. You're glad you saved your family, but you're sad by the fact that you know your family is going to suffer loss. That your family is not going to be restored to where they could have been had you heeded the warning. That's somewhat of a picture of what Paul is saying here. You, you know that you did not act on truth and your family is going to suffer unnecessary financial regret because of your failure to act. Your, your family's saved, but they're suffering loss unnecessarily. And what Paul is trying to say here is build well and build faithfully. Build your life on the Word of God. Don't suffer loss and miss out on rewards because you bought into the philosophies of the world, because you didn't believe what I've said in the Word of God. And I pray that we will build lives that will stand the test of fire at the end of the day. And that's what I want me, and, and also for you, I want for all of us, that we will receive our full reward. That, that, that we will not build with wood, hay, and stubble, and straw, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, that we'll build with the finer with the gold and the silver and the things that last, that we'll build based on the Word of God and not based on the philosophies of this world, that, that we won't be satisfied with simply being saved, that we want to live out that salvation on behalf of the glory of God, but also that others around us might be saved. Look, look with me at 2 John 8. 2 John 8, it should come up on the, the screens here. Second, second John verse 8, he says, Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. You see it? A full reward. Live in such a way as to receive the full reward. Don't be satisfied with anything less than the full reward. And that's what Paul closes with in verse 15 and, and really leads in to verse 16. And I, I wanted to make sure that was clear and kind of close that loop from last week because not only does carnality stunt our growth, but it robs us of blessing. It robs us of rewards. And thirdly, in verses 16 through 23, what we're going to see here today is carnality clouds our perspective. It clouds our perspective. We don't see things as clearly as we should. We don't understand things as clearly as we should. And you know, it happens subtly. You know, you don't really notice how filthy your windshield has become until you clean your windshield. Why? Because it's subtle. It's subtle. Every day, a little thin layer of film gets laid upon your windshield. The next day, laid upon your windshield. Next day, laid upon your windshield. And you just adjust to it. You don't even know it. It's so subtle, you don't even know it. That's the way it is with the philosophies of the world. They're subtle. The lies are subtle. 
And until you break down and get bored enough and have enough time to wash your windshield, you're like, there's a whole world out there that I didn't know existed. You don't realize how filthy it is until you clean it. In verses 16 through 23, Paul is saying, look, the foolishness of the ways of the world, they begin to cloud our minds and we begin to live for the things of this world. We start to think, subtly start to think like the world, we start to act like the world, and then we find ourselves over here and you're like, how did I get here? Gradually, subtly, slowly, slowly. And it begins to cloud our perspective. And we don't, we don't make clear judgments anymore. We don't make sound judgments anymore. We find ourselves doing things and acting things that we know better. And that's exactly what Paul says here. Carnality clouds our perspective. One of the ways, a couple ways I want us to see is by causing us to forget who we are. Verses 16 and 17, we forget who we are. He says, do you not know that you're a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If, a man, if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. The phrase, do you not know, we're going to see that ten times in this book. A very, very common phrase that Paul uses. He says, or do you not know, do you not know. Paul, what Paul is saying there is, in the Greek, he is assuming that they know this. They should know this. He's not asking them. He's not teaching them. He's not telling them anything that he has not told them before. They ought to know. He, he's literally saying, don't you remember what I've said? Again, they were babies. They were carnal. They had forgotten. And one of the things they had forgotten was who they were and who they are. They were not, for, they were not progressing. They were forgetful. And you as parents, you know, some days your kids wake up and it's almost like somebody has transported them back in time 10 years. Like they're in the body of an 8-year-old, but they are acting like they're 3 again. You know, they're doing things that you, like we've talked about this before. Now at the same time, Bradley's probably saying to his daddy, yeah, dad, I act like that, you act like that too, and you, we've talked about this before. But we're going to focus on the kids for today, it's better that way. But, but you, you ought to know better. You ought to know better. In, in our house, I, I will look at Bradley and Sarah and I, really? Really? C come, come on now. Come on. Or, or they might get, seriously? Seriously. They know. That's all, that's all I need to say. They know. And, and Paul, what Paul is saying here is something that they ought to have known. It was commonly known. This was common knowledge. This is not some spiritual depths that, that only the elite like the Corinthians believed. These are, this is common knowledge. But they were forgetful. And they had forgotten who they were. He says, do you not know that you're a temple of God? You're the temple of God. I mean, he, that's what carnality does. It makes us forgetful. It takes us to the point where we know biblical truth, but, but we've got so much of the world balanced in there that the biblical truth is one of many tr supposed truths we're, we're, we're holding on to. And so it's like a multiple guess question that you're not sure what the answer is. And, and, and you, get, you get fuzzy. And you're forgetful. And he literally says in verse 16 that they have forgotten who they are. Do you not know? He's saying you know who you are. You, you presume to be wise, you, you, 
you, you think you're wise, you act like you're wise, but you don't even know who you are. You've forgotten who you are. In James, he says, no one goes, he says it's the same foolishness of going to a mirror, seeing what you look like, and then walking away and forgetting, James 1 says. Who does that? He's saying, you know who you are. He's saying, this, this is literally Christianity 101. This is the basic of the basic of the basic. You know who you are. You're a temple. And again, again, it's important we remember, Paul is addressing the local church here. He, he's not talking to non-believers. He's talking to believers. You, you can go all the way back to verse 3, verse 1. He says, and I, brethren, again, that's the term for believers, brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. In, in verse 16, you, you don't see it as well in the English, but in verse 16, in the Greek, the words you here are plural. They're plural. You see, that's where I love living in the South. See, we took care of this. See, in, 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 all, in everywhere else, you don't know what you're talking about. When you say you, like I look at here as you, singular or plural, but we came up with this theological word called y'all. Y'all. It's theological, I'm telling you. It's biblical. If you don't incorporate y'all into your vernacular, into your word choice, you are missing out. You're missing out. Because when I don't have to say Bradley and Sarah, I just say y'all. I'm very concise with my words. Y'all, one word. What it, what it took in other parts of the country and the world, about 10 words to say, I just said y'all. And, and, and y'all is spiritual. When you leave here, you're not going to remember anything else other than the fact that y'all is biblical. It's biblical. But in English, again, you can't tell whether you is singular or plural. But, but it's plural. And literally, if, if we had the Southern International Version of the Bible, this would say, do y'all not know that y'all are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in y'all? I mean, if we came up with our own version here, that's what it would be. The Odessa, the church, Idaho Church of Odessa version of the Bible. It would have y'all all over it. Y'all. And, and, and he's saying, y'all are the temple of God. And in the word, the word temple there, in the Greek, there are two words for temple. There was one that referred to the temple as a whole, and it included areas that even the Gentiles could go. The outer courtyards, the places that were less, less holy, the temple in and of itself. Gentiles could go there, really anyone could go there. The other word for temple refers to the holy of holies. It's the place that only the chief, the high priest could go. And at that, the high priest could only enter one a year. This is the Holy of Holies. That word is naos, N-A-O-S. That's the word that Paul uses here. He doesn't just say you're a general temple. He's literally saying here, you are the Holy of Holies. You're the holiest place in the temple. That's you. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you. You see it as, as well in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And there he was addressing the fact that, that they were joining themselves to prostitutes. And he's saying, you're the temple of God. What are you doing? What he's saying, you know, the, the innermost part of the temple, only a sacred few ever entered. And Paul is saying, you, the church, y'all are sacred. You're sacred. 
Collectively, you're sacred. Individually, you're sacred. Don't live like you're not. Look, look what a Leviticus, 11, Leviticus 15, 33. There were very severe um, consequences for treating the temple lightly and for treating sin lightly. He says, thus, shall you sh thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness so that they will not die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is among them. He says, you go, you play around with sin and you enter my presence, you're going to die. Die. Don't play around. I'm holy. I don't want anything to do with this sin. Do you think God would be less jealous or zealous for, for his temple today? I mean, in, in, in the Old Testament time, the, the, the high priest would enter into that Holy of Holies one time a year to make atonement for sin. They would, he would have a fancy robe on, they would put bells all over him, and they would tie a rope to him. Why? Because if he had sin and he walked into that room, he would die just like that. If they heard those bells stop ringing, guess what? They'd pull him out with that rope. Because they weren't going in to get him. They didn't want to die either. He's saying, you're the temple. They would have gotten this picture. They would have known, you're the holy of holies. Look at verse 17. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. God says, I will go, Paul says, God is going to go to great lengths to protect his bride. If I broke into your house tonight and threatened your family, man, I guarantee you'd go to great lengths to protect your bride. Would you not? Absolutely you would. Rightly and rightfully so. And if you wouldn't, there's bigger issues. Don't be that man that hears a noise in the house and taps on his wife and says, go find out what that is. No, you better be running. You know, you may whoop me, but I'm going to die trying. I'm going to die trying to, to defend Karen and Sarah and Bradley. And Paul is saying here, hey, if you come against, if you come against God's bride, the church, hear me. It's on. God says it's on. And in the Greek... Paul is saying this is a very real possibility. This is not a hypothetical situation. Something was going on in the church at that time that made Paul fearful that this was going to happen. This is a real situation. And what scares me even more, again, is what Paul is saying is it was a situation that was within the church. Paul's not addressing something outside the church. Paul is saying that the, our greatest our greatest threat might be within this church. The greatest threat to destroying what God is doing here at Odessa might be sitting in the pews right now. If we're not careful, that's what Paul is saying. You and I can be the greatest threat to the division and the unity in this church. And he is addressing believers. And again, the greatest possibility for destroying the church might well be within the church. We might be our own greatest enemy. And, and that ought to alarm us. That ought to scare us. And, and even within the context, Paul gives ways in which this could happen. Ways in which we could lack unity. In, in verses 5 through 8, he says personal divisions amongst you. Personal divisions amongst you. Bad-mouthing each other, holding different people up. 
walking with sin in your life, not treating others as you ought, personal, divi- personal divisions will, will destroy a church. We can become against one another. That's what he's saying. Don't do it. In verses 10 through 15, he says that there can be theological divisions that destroy a church. When we theologically depart from the clear, revealed Word of God to what we think or what we feel versus what we know, theological divisions. Be careful. Major on the things we can be clear about and have a little flexibility on the things we can't. But focus on the majors. We can get real quick to focus on the things that are blurry. Focus on the majors. But not only that, in verses 12 through 13, he says a lack of involvement for all in, from all people in the church will cause division. I can tell you this, the few that are towing all the weight and doing all the work will eventually become resentful for those towards those that are not, if we're not careful. If we're not all carrying our load, if we're not all pitching in, he says it's going to cause division. It's going to cause division in your home. Same thing, if you're doing all the work and your husband or wife is just sitting by, eventually that's going to get old. Eventually it's going to get old. If you're doing that at work, eventually it's going to get old. And he's saying in the church it's no different. Slackers cause division. People not carrying their own load cause division. And Paul says that God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. The word destroy there means to desecrate, to desecrate, to desecrate rather, harm, corrupt, or spoil. It doesn't mean to eliminate or to annihilate. It seems more very, very strong judgment on a believer. Strong judgment upon a believer. And and even within the Bible, even within 1 Corinthians, we see examples of this. Strong judgment. One of the judgments of you treating the temple lightly is sickness. Sickness. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. 1 Corinthians 11.30, he says, If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains... That ain't what I wanted. 11.30, I'm in 2 Corinthians. Hello, that would help. 1 Corinthians 11.30. Oh, it's on here anyway. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number of sleep. They were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. They were desecrating the temple of God and, and in their own bodies. And he says, hey, for this reason, some of you are sick and even asleep. By the way, that means dead. Not in a deep slumber, dead. You're dead. Not only that, excommunication. One of the ways that that God commanded them to deal with with sin and living according to the world and treating the temple unholy is excommunication. 1 Corinthians 5.5. Paul says, I have decided... There is a man, we're going to get here in in chapter 5 eventually, there is a man sleeping with his stepmother. And the church is okay with it. They don't don't rebuke him. He says, I've decided to to deliver... such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He says, let Satan have his way with him, so that we'll save his soul, so that he'll be brought back. Death. Death is another one. At 1 Corinthians 11.30, we saw this. Some of you are sick, and many of you are asleep. That word asleep, death. They're dead. You look at eternal loss is the last one. Eternal loss. 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15. We saw it last week. If any man's burn, work is burned up. He's saying, be careful. Be careful how you steward what God has given you. Be careful. He, he says, in 1, in 1 John 2, 28, 
He says, Now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. You know, if, if your mom or dad leaves you at home by yourself and they give you some things and responsibilities to do and that garage door starts to go up and you hadn't done it, you're not welcoming them to walk in that garage door. But if you've lived the way that you're supposed to, it's like, hey, I don't care when they come back. They're going to find me being faithful. You're not going to shrink away. I, I don't want any of us to shrink away at our Lord's return. And, and Paul is saying God will not deal lightly with somebody who tries to destroy or affect his church. The consequences for that will, will be severe. Now, and again, God is patient. Romans 2, 4. Don't think lightly of his kindness and tolerance, knowing that it leads to re repentance. God is very patient. But there does come a day and a time when he's done. You can look also in 1 John, there is a sin that leads unto death. I believe with all my heart he's saying, there's a time where God just says, look, come on home. Come on home. You're not getting it? Come on home. You're out. And what we do, what Paul is telling the Corinthians and also us, what we do this morning is blessed in a very unique way. It is a collection of people who have been embodied with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit dwells. In us, that word is live. It means at home, to be make your home, to be comfortable. He lives there, and not only individually but corporately. And, and when we gather here, but also how we live out there has an impact on God. God's reputation is at stake in how we live, not only here but out there. His reputation is at stake. When churches are falling apart, when our lives are decaying. When we're at war with each other, whether we want to or not, it makes, a, it makes a statement to the world around us about our God. No more than your bride or, or your, your bride makes a statement about you, husband. People see your bride, guess what? It may, they may be telling on you. And God's temple is holy. He says, treat it that way and live it out that way. Don't forget who you are because carnality, when we live according to the world we will tend to forget who we are. But not only that, carnality clouds our perspective by just deceiving us, simply deceiving us. Look at verse 18. Let no man deceive himself. If any man thinks you he's wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So then, let no one boast before men or in men, for all things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Worldliness deceives us. It, it deceives us. When, when we clutter our minds and our hearts with the things of this world versus focusing on the things of God, we become deceived. And I thought about this, deception, deception can be like dust, if you think about it. Anybody ever wanted dust in their house? Anybody asked for dust to come in their house? No, but guess what? Dust finds its way. It just, it just finds its way. And we fight it, and we fight it. We're not going to look for it, but it finds us. And it starts off small. It starts off very, very, barely noticeable. But if you don't deal with it, it doesn't stop there. 
it builds up and it eventually becomes more and more noticeable. And it has more and more effects, maybe allergies, maybe other things. And how we deal with dust in our house, I feel like sometimes is a picture of how we deal with deception and worldliness in our own lives. We, 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 we tend to ignore it as, as long as we can. If you're like us, we, we tend to ignore it. We, we don't really take the time to stop and really deep clean it. We just kind of hit the surface. You might even walk by and just blow it off the surface. Knowing that it's still in the house, it's going to find its way back. Or, or what about this? We, we try to cover it up so nobody else knows about it. You ever do that? Or, or better yet, we'll clean the rooms that somebody who, when somebody comes to our house, we'll only clean the areas that they're going to see. Or, 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 or better yet, we, we, we'll only clean when people are coming over. Like, hey, you ain't worthy cleaning of this house for. Now, they come over. Some of y'all invite people over to your house every week just so you got to clean. That's the only motivation. We, we, or, or sometimes, you know, we, we, we're faulty because we never really go to the source. We never really understand the source of where it's all coming from and why it's in your house the way it is. Maybe you need to clean your air filter. Maybe you need to change the air filter. You do know you have to change your air filters regularly, right? Okay, just checking. Because when I first got our house, I didn't have I didn't even know that. Did not even know that. I was like, okay. But it's costly. It's costly. But, but the point is, just like dust, we have to deal with division in the church and guard against it and watch for it constantly. Constantly. We have to never grow tired of dealing with division. When, when, we've, when we've been offended or when we offend, we need to make sure we're quick to go to those, those people and deal with it because it's only going to grow. When we have unconfessed, when we know there's sin in our life that we've not confessed and we're fighting, fight it. When we see it in somebody else's life, love them enough to go to them and talk about it. And if someone does that, receive them in love that that's from God. Receive them. We're going to talk about that in 1 Corinthians. There always rages, the, the warning for us is this, there rages within us constantly a battle between our spirit and our flesh. We, we don't come to Christ and just automatically have everything in our lives in full submission to Him. Everything is cleaned. Now, from a positional standpoint, that is absolutely true. We've been forgiven. From a practical standpoint, we're still battling. And, and there are some areas in our life that we might be hanging on to with regards to our old ways that we've been deceived by the philosophy of this world, and they're impacting us. Every single person in this room is probably believing. You may not even know it. You're believing some lies. You have believed some lies about yourself, about others, about God. And sanctification is that process, lifelong process, where I bring myself into submission to the Word of God. That I go and by the grace of God and the Word of God in my life and the Spirit of God deep cleans every room in my house gradually so that He feels at home living in my heart. John Piper uh, used the illustration. He said he sees these things as coups. Little pockets within your life that, that just rebel and seek to overtake other areas of your life. Areas of your life that are characterized more by the flesh than they are the spirit. And there are battles constantly going in with inside of us. 
the flesh and the spirit. And we, we fight these battles with the hope of bringing every area of our life under submission to God. That's sanctification. And if we do not address them, if we do not deal with them, they grow. And they become bigger problems. And, and Paul here gives us three perspectives, three perspectives in, 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 how, in areas that we can be deceived. Three areas that we can be deceived if we allow carnality to exist amongst us and in us. And the first area is ourselves. We can be deceived about ourselves. Let no man deceive himself, verse 18 through 20. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he can become wise. You, you flip back to, to Romans 12, verse 3. Paul talks about renewing your minds and dealing with this, and he says, For, though, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Every single one of us in here is going to fight a battle constantly of thinking more, important, thinking more of themselves than they ought. I, I don't have to try to become prideful. I don't wake up in the morning hoping that pride will be an issue. It's an issue. It's an issue. And don't think more, that's, but it's because of the world and the ways of the world. And we're inundated with them. I don't even have to look for ways of the world to influence my pride. They find me. And we have to make a conscious choice regarding which wisdom we're going to follow. The world or the word. A constant choice to say, do, am I going to see myself as the word of God sees me? Or am I going to see myself the way that the world sees me. A constant choice to say, am I going to buy into the philosophies of the world or am I going to believe the philosophies of this word? It's a constant choice. And again, it, this is within the church. He says, among you. If any man among you, he's talking to the church. And, and Paul is saying here, it's better to be God's fool than man's genius. It's better to be God's fool than man's genius. In, in the world's eyes. Because our wisdom focuses on the cross, and that is foolishness. We saw that in 1 and 2. That's foolishness to the world. Foolish. And, and until we're focused on the cross, we will never be sacrificial in areas of marriage, in areas of parenting, in areas of friendship, in areas of our work relationships, in areas of our neighborhood, and our relationship with our neighbors. Again, foolishness to the world. To sacrifice yourself for others. And yet God says it's, it's wisdom. It's wisdom. And what Paul is saying is God's approval is better than man's approval. God's approval is better than man's approval. It's better to be approved of by God than it is to be liked by man. And he says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. That's why over and over in, verse, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, 7... You know, Paul deals with that. In 4.7, he deals with that. And we'll see it in a minute. Don't, don't be deceived about yourself. Carnality, un, de, carnality that is not dealt with will de, cause you to deceive and think more of yourself than you ought. But, but also, don't think less of yourself than you ought. Pri, that could be a form of pride as well. Woe is me. Trying to fish for a compliment. Think of yourself as God has said you to be. But not only, not only deceived about ourselves, we can become deceived about others. Paul says in verses 21 and 22, So then, let no one boast in men. 
For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, the world or life or death or things present or to come. He says, don't, don't be deceived by others. And what Paul is saying here is, don't follow personalities. Follow a Savior. We, we have a real tendency to follow personalities. And it could be in the form of an author. We read this person's books more than we read the book. Or, hey, I'll stay in this class as long as this person is teaching. Or, hey, I only... No, don't, you don't follow a personality. You, regardless of who's behind this pulpit, as long as they're preaching on the Word of God, you give them your ear. They deserve your attention, whether it's me or anyone else. I certainly don't have a corner on the market. That's obvious. I was kidding with a lady I know this morning. I said, oh, you came back. She says, yeah, we were hoping we'd finally hear a good sermon. You know, I said, well, the people here at Odessa have been waiting for 19 months, and they ain't got one yet, so you've only heard one. you got a ways to go. But it's the Word of God that we stand on. And, and, and Paul is saying, hey, don't create issues. Don't, don't make issues where there are not issues by, by following people and lifting up people. You're manufacturing issues. Don't create issues and divisions. Don't follow people. If there's a difference over doctrinal issues, then we'll deal with that. But don't pit one believer against another believer and cause division. It's not Anthony versus Gary versus Ken. That's why we say go to any one of them. Find the one that, that fits you the best and ride it out. But Anthony is not in competition with Ken and Gary. Those are our three adult teachers. It's not a competition. I'm not in competition with the other pastors at the other churches here in this area. If they're teaching the Word of God, I will tell you, I don't care where you go. Go somewhere where you're being fed the Word of God. If it's here, wonderful. If it happens to be somewhere else, as long as they're teaching the Word of God, I'll do anything I can to help you. I don't own you. I don't have a monopoly. Be fed the Word of God. Go where you can be fed the Word of God. We would have no authority, Paul is saying, any man who is preaching the Word of God would have no authority to do what they do were it not for the authority given them by the Word of God and in the Word of God. That's where the authority rests, so stick to the Word of God. In, in chapter 3, 7, he says, So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. In chapter 4, verse 7, we'll see it next week, Lord willing, for, one who regard, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? He's saying it's not about men, it's about the Word of God. It's about the Word of God. We're simply servants. makes no sense for a bunch of servants to sit around the house arguing about who's the greatest servant. We're servants, and matter of fact, we're privileged to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We serve the greatest master there ever is or was or will be to serve. That's where we ought to be rejoicing, not dividing amongst each other, but it's carnality. It deceives us about ourselves, it deceives about others, but also it deceives us about who we belong to and what belongs to us. And Paul says that all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. He's saying, why would you live as if you didn't have everything at your disposal? Why, why would you lean on worldly wisdom when you've been giving everything you need for life and godliness? He says, all things belong to us. All things. But not only that, he says, we belong to Christ. 
We belong to Christ, therefore we're to make much of Christ. And he goes further to say, Christ belongs to God. So the point he's making is we are owned and have unlimited access to the Father. We're owned and have access to God Himself. When you come and repent of your sinfulness, the greatest blessing that you get in forgiveness is you get God. You get God. That's what Paul is saying. You're the temple. There are a lot of blessings that come with our relationship to the Father. He's saying don't miss out on them, namely the fact that you belong to God. You have access to the Father. Look with me at some passages. Romans 8, 17. Just to bring this home. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may be able to be glorified with Him. We're children. If, if we're children, then we're heirs. And here's the beauty of this. Not only are we co-heirs with Christ, but the Bible paints the truth that we are God's inheritance. Think about that. You were the prize that he got for sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. You were part of that. Look, look at verse uh, John 17, 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, just as we are one. We're one. Understand what we have. Look at uh, Philemon 1, 6 and 7. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. He says, through the knowledge of every good thing in you. Knowing what's in us. Why would we settle for less? I close with this illustration. Some of you, some of you may understand, may remember the Susan uh, B. Anthony dollar, and and the story of this coin. I, I read about this, and the story of this coin may, in some ways, represent our our own story, and that that we as believers may be similar to the Susan B. Anthony dollar. The Susan B. Anthony dollar. There may be a reason why some of you never heard of it because it didn't catch on very well. And one of the primary reasons was because it felt and looked too much like the quarter. It too closely resembled the quarter. People couldn't really tell a difference. So the, so the Susan B. Anthony dollar kind of fell out of circulation. It was worth a dollar, but it too closely resembled a quarter. Some of us I know that this is what Paul is dealing with. Some of us may be worth a dollar, but we're living lives like we were only worth about 25 cents because we've been deceived. And we don't really understand what our value is and the value of everything that we've been given in the Lord. Paul is saying, you're worth a dollar. Live like you're worth a dollar. You're separate from the world. Don't live like the world. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness through the Word of God. Lean on the Word of God. Don't live lives that so closely resemble that of the world that people don't really understand your value. And Paul is saying, don't let carnality rob you of your growth. 
Don't let carnality rob you of your blessing. And don't let carnality cloud your perspective. Every single one of us in here today are either helping or we're hurting the church. And I ask the question, which are, which are you? Every single one of us are either helping or we're hurting this body of believers. But not only this body of believers, don't lose sight. Every, as Lee prayed this morning, every Christian all over the world. We're either helping or we're hurting. And, and the reality of what Paul is saying is this. What makes Christianity so great is that we don't get what we deserve because of our sin. That's what Paul is saying. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you no longer get what you deserve as a sinner. Christ has taken our punishment. And Paul says, live like that. Live out of the gratitude that what you should have done, what was due you, was taken on by Christ. Live out of a gratitude of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Live out of a gratitude of what Jesus Christ has declared us to be. Live out of a gratitude of what Christ has promised us in the end, no matter what we face or it costs us here and now. Out of gratitude, he's saying, give up your life here because guess what? You're going to get it tenfold in the end. In the end. And I, I want so bad for my own life, but also for all of us, to be believers who joyfully obey Christ because of what the salvation, our salvation has already provided. We're not trying to earn it. We're not trying to pay God back. We're not trying to make God think He was wise in saving us. We're simply living a life that says, I am so grateful and thankful that you've saved me. And I'm going to live out of the gratitude of that. Paul says, respond to the cross appropriately. And so I close with that question. It's on your handout. How to you today, just for your own personal consideration, how have you responded to the cross? Maybe you responded real well, and maybe for the last month, two, three, four, whatever, not so well. Maybe, maybe not so well, and now it is well, your response. Maybe it's hit or miss. But I ask you, how have you responded to the cross? How are you currently responding to the cross? With gratitude? Or with something that I did in the past and I've set it aside? Never forget that we are who we are because of what Jesus did at Calvary. We would be nothing apart from what God has, has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf.